as our musicians and vocalists were singing and leading us in worship, I couldn't help but just thank the Lord for his spirit, for drawing so many talented people to us. They're in a season of gathering new folks. So if you're interested in leading us in worship, singing, making music, then uh, come join them on Wednesday. They'd love to have you. Now, if you're not very good, don't do that. Have you ever been working on a hot summer Saturday, the sun's blazing and your body is fatigued and weary? And perhaps you just recognize with family and friends working side by side with you that it's time for everybody to take a breather. And so you call for a break. You find the closest shade tree and you gather up under that shade tree and you start pulling out cold waters. Or maybe you pour up some lemonade or any other God-honoring beverage. <laughs> you recognize this is a moment of reprieve. And in that, in that minute, you thank the Lord for work and accomplishment. And you also thank him for refreshment and rejuvenation that comes with rest. Peter has been leading us through his epistle with some pretty challenging words. And if I don't mind saying their task words. They're hard-working words. Words like submission, submit to those that God has placed in authority over you. Work even though they are berating you. Stay the course of faith though you're challenged in it. And in some way, this verse 8 in the third chapter of 1 Peter is a let's pull under the tree of grace. And let's think for a minute about what God's refreshment is like and how each of us play a part in that. So as we zoom in on this part of the epistle, we're going to find that God is giving us just a breather for a moment just to help us to be refreshed. And if you look around at the people in this room, they are the refreshment to you. They are the very people that God's Spirit has brought together very intentionally that you might be refreshed as you continue to submit to those in authority over you, as you work under your employer, your boss, or in their context, the master, or as a family, a wife leading, uh, being led by her husband. She's submissive to him. So here's what he says that will give us this refreshment under the shade of grace. Finally, all of you, all of you, right? this is not like only for a select number of you. This is for everyone who is gathered here today. All of you have unity of mind, sym sympathy, brotherly love, and tender heart, and humble mind. And what I believe he's going to point to in this text is that Christians living unto the glory of Christ in this postmodern, very anti-biblical world requires Christians to have a, a real expression of right attitudes with other believers. If we're going to be refreshed as we work unto the kingdom, then we're going to need one another to breathe refreshment in each other's lives. So I think we're going to see that God is giving us that in this single verse, with hearts made anew in Christ, filled by the very nature of Christ, by his spirit, 
giving us attitudes. We're going to have respite of shade and refreshment by fellow believers as we continue in hard days and trials. Now I want to mention five points. They're very simply laid out for you in this verse. We ought to refresh others pursuing unity of mind. That's what he says first, have unity of mind. Literally, Peter is instructing Christians to think the same way, to have unity of mind. The Apostle Paul said it in the same phrase or meaning, but just with different words, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full of one accord and one mind. So this oneness that you and I have in mind is very important. Now, single-mindedness in and of itself is not necessarily God-honoring, nor is it a blessing to other believers. Just because you think the same way doesn't mean that it's going to be a blessing. Our purpose is not necessarily to be merely like-minded, but to be like-minded with the mind of Christ. That is different. So we can refresh each other by promoting the truths of Jesus Christ and encouraging one another to bear the image of Christ, to constantly be building that up in each other. According to Romans 8, 29, God predestined us to be conformed to the image of his beloved son. You see, friends, in Christ we are made new creations. The old has passed away and the new has come. And this newness that the Lord gives us allows us to know our creator well and become like him according to 2 Corinthians 5 and Colossians 3. We know as well that the spirit teaches us in Romans chapter 12 that our purpose is to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that by testing we may discern what is the good and acceptable and perfect gift that God has given So think for a moment how if you and I were united in that way, united in that way of thinking, how we could refresh one another. So no wonder Peter is saying, have unity of mind. Have unity of mind in Christ. When sickness and disease comes, and it will for all of us, we will all experience that. It's powerful when somebody asks us in that moment, what do you think the sovereign God is doing in the midst of your weakness? Where do you find his perfected strength? That's unity of mind, recognizing he's moving us somewhere. So it's refreshing when somebody reminds us that God is in the suffering, working within that to bring good, even in the midst of our sorrows. When haters and persecutors and enemies come against you, think of the power when a Christian sister reminds you that you have fellowship with the suffering of Jesus Christ. How refreshing it is when somebody helps us to consider what God is doing. He is developing us, shaping us into Christ. And he does it most expressly when we're in the midst of troubles. When you weep with disappointment, consider the blessing it is. When somebody just comes alongside of you and weeps alongside of you. When someone is there reminding you of the eternal promises that are very secure in Christ, even though you may not feel them in that moment, that those promises are absolute. It's refreshing when somebody points out that there is a day that Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eyes and they will forever be gone. It's good to be refreshed by brothers and sisters who think united. When temptation tries to thwart your walk with Christ, Bless the genuine brother who reminds you of your holy calling. 
Because it's a refreshment when somebody calls out to you that you are a saint, you are a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You see, Meadowbrook, we are better when we are united in mind. When we understand where God is and what he's doing and how his spirit is moving and what Christ has already provided, when we are united in those truths and remind each other of them, then we are refreshers. Listen, my friends, you are a blessing to other people if you are rooted in and grounded in God's word and love. So share that with each other. Let the unity of mind be yours. This is a place where people gather who are meant to refresh one another. And this is a place where we scatter after this service into our life groups for the purpose of refreshing one another. And then when we leave there, we move out through the rest of the week, it is our call to refresh each other. And we do it by having unity of mind. So I think we ought to do everything that we can to enhance the unity of mind that Christ has given us. And we have to guard that unity of mind. I think we ought to be very careful with the jokes and the ribbing that we might bring to one another. I think we ought to be very careful when we have our love and likes that are different from other people's loves and likes. By the way, football season soon to crank up. So much more that's racing in my mind right there, but I'm going to let that pass. See how the Holy Spirit tempers you when you're in your 50s? Be careful with the social media posts about your opinions. Before you start typing, or maybe after you type, before you click enter, how about just pausing and saying, does this enhance unity of mind? Because that's my purpose. Oh, you thought your purpose was to give an opinion about a restaurant. Hogwash. That's not your purpose. Your purpose is to build unity of mind, to have unity of mind and build unity of mind and champion that in other people. I would encourage us to think real hard about that because you are the refreshment of God for everybody in this room. When they read your posts, when they read your tweets, you are the refreshment that God has provided. Did you take that? Did you take it and apply it in that moment? When you're talking one to another, you thought it was your job to be the sarcastic one. No, no, your job is to be the unifier and to be the one to build up and refresh. Just be a fresh breeze. People have gone through many, many difficult times through the week. Be that refreshment. Secondly, refresh others by showing sympathy. We can't experience unity while we are indifferent to the plights and the experiences of other people. Now, the world is full of diversity, no doubt. That's the way God wanted it to be. But you and I have to uniquely apply sympathy to our relationships. It's unhealthy that Western culture is continuously fractured into narrowing ideological and political silos. That is not refreshing. That division is not refreshing. Rarely do people cross the aisle to have conversation with others who hold different viewpoints 
much less work together to solve the problems. We fuss about that in Washington or fuss about that down in Montgomery. But listen, what are you doing about the people that you work with who think very differently than you? Are you having conversation with them? Are you engaging them relationally or are you staying away from them? A refresher is one who has sympathy and sympathy is engaging with people to the point of understanding where they are. Why do they think the way they think? Why do they do what they do? Come to an understanding there. Obviously our country includes various colors of people, backgrounds, financial means, diverse experiences and situations. However, in general, there's a lack of effort among people to have conversations and understanding for people who are different than us. But Christians ought to be different. Christians ought to engage people differently. On the contrary, Meadowbrook ought to be befriending people who are very different from us in order that we might share with them. Expose them to the love of Christ. Expose them to the teachings of Christ. Now the Holy Spirit means for Meadowbrook to be a very diverse group of gathered saints whose unity is rooted in the truth of the Bible and whose community is grounded in the uniqueness and eagerness of sympathizing with one another. Putting yourself in their shoes. Listen to the Bible's instructions. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. It's, it's moving towards the life of other people and finding them where they are, whether they're weeping or they're laughing and joining them there. So we refresh others when we share the same feelings that they are experiencing. Now, you're not going to share the same experiences that everybody has in this room, but you can share the feelings of the experiences of all people. You can put yourself there in a sympathetic way. As they're going through trials or joys, put yourself there. Could I encourage you to make moved in three ways to refresh people? These are just some ways that the Spirit prompted my own heart and thinking. First, acknowledge someone's thoughts or feelings and frame of mind without placating them or without patronizing them. Just acknowledge what they're feeling. You say, well, I don't know the words to share with them. How about figuring out what is the word in their mind? What are they going through? And ask them, is this what you're feeling? Join them there. If they're feeling sorrow, acknowledge the sorrow. You don't have to explain away the sorrow. It's not going to do any good to try to do that. Join them in the sorrow. And when they're rejoicing, ask them about their feelings of rejoicing. And find that joy in, in you as well. Move towards someone and respond in the way that they're feeling. Sometimes refreshment comes merely with our presence. So when we sense somebody is drawing near to us because we have something going on, it is refreshing to us. Refresh other people in the midst of their sorrow without using words sometimes. Just be there. I've been in many a living room and there'd be heaviness in the room. And me praying in earnest, oh Spirit of the living God, give me instruction. Recall to my memory some passage that will help. And sometimes he does. And other times it just gets this sense of just be quiet. Just be with them right now. Just draw near to them right now. 
Know the powerful refreshment that comes in a well-considered handwritten note. It's part of the way we refresh and sympathize with other people. Have you ever just gotten in the mailbox, pulled out the mail, and see there's a handwritten note, and it's not going to be an invitation to a shower. It's not an invitation to a wedding. This is somebody's note to you just because. Almost all times, they're acknowledging something in my life. And man, is that ever refreshing. Now, look, I know the U.S. Post Office has gone up on their prices, and it's just ridiculous right now. But it's worth, it's worth less than a dollar to refresh somebody. When's the last time you wrote a handwritten note? When's the last time you put it in the mail knowing that it was going to be a refreshment to them? They open that, they read that, and they're just refreshed. Man, I just got a flashback in my office. I had a storage room, and for years, I put every handwritten note on the top of a refrigerator there. And it just reminded me every time I went there that my life matters. Handwritten notes are pretty important. Refresh people by sympathizing with them. Now, you are the means by which God has given refreshment to people by sympathy. Look at number three. Refresh others by showing brotherly love and affection. The word here is phileo in the original language, and it means an affection like somebody who you're closely related to and you want to be. Now, you might be closely related to somebody and not want to be. That's not phileo. I'm talking about somebody that you really want to be loving in relationship with. And he's saying love them in that way. Love is a tightly bound, generously demonstrated, selfish, uh, unselfishly given love, a brotherly love that is quick to defend. Now, my brothers and I could fight like cats and dogs, but if somebody else came and fought one of my brothers, I would rile up pretty quick. There's something about that that requires us to move when our brother or our sister is, is being spoken against or somebody's coming against them. That's the love that he's saying. Go towards those who need you. Go toward them and help them when they're struggling. Honor them. Build them up. Don't tear them down. Build them up. And that's a love that chooses not to harm. Instead, it considers the well-being of the individual or the family member. So in maturity, now it's not this way when you're a teenager, but in maturity, you recognize your job as a brother or a sister is to build up your family. And you probably do that pretty well. If not, you're immature. You're immature in the things of Christ and the way of Christ and the love of Christ and the spirit of Christ. You're going to want to build them up because they are family. And here he's saying to us in this place, you're going to refresh each other if you have phileo, if you have this brotherly love toward one another where you see it as your purpose to build up the people in this room. That means you're not talking behind their back. You're not, you're not bringing them down. You're not tearing them down. You're looking for the opportunity and moving towards it to build them up. Everybody in this house ought to be building everyone in this house. Because when they get outside of this house, man, does the devil want to tear them down. He seeks to devour them, kill them, destroy them, accuse them. But in this place, it ought to be different. And in doing so, man, what a refreshment we are to each other. And then he says in number four, 
refresh others by demonstrating tender-heartedness. Tender-heartedness. Now, the Greek New Testament translates this word or uses this uh, word trans, translated tender-hearted. In a very literal way, it means to have strong bowels. Now, in my eighth grade days, I would come apart in the worship if the preacher said that you were supposed to have strong bowels. Because could you imagine saying of somebody, she's so compassionate. Yeah, she has such strong bowels. <laughs> that doesn't make sense, does it? So what is he talking about when he says you ought to have strong bowels? That sounds a little bit odd. But it doesn't when you think about the emotions and what comes out in the emotions and how it brings turmoil to us. For instance, anybody ever been in puppy love in the seventh grade? Sixth grade? Eighth grade? Anybody ever been in puppy love? There's something about puppy love that you say, oh man, I've got butterflies in my stomach right now. It's a churning, isn't it? There's something about the gut that gets connected to our emotions. Uh, if someone close to you, you find out there's bad news in their life, you say, man, that makes me sick to my stomach, don't you? So this tenderheartedness along with our gut makes sense because tenderheartedness is this nature of God that has been given to us because we've been made in his image. God is tenderhearted. Jesus Christ is tenderhearted. Let me tell you how tenderhearted he is. He sees our sin. He sees God's judgment against us. He sees the death that is awaiting us and he is moved. It's like a kick in the gut to him. And he wants to do something about that. So he leaves his throne of glory and he humbles himself to dwell among us and he lives righteously, he lives perfectly without sin, yet he takes our sin and our death upon himself on the cross of Calvary. All that because he's tender-hearted. He has a love that stirs him and moves him to action. And now he's saying to us, you and I ought to be refreshing one another because we are tender-hearted. And man, the Holy Spirit elevates what God has made in us. He gives us an amp of that tenderheartedness so that when we see something, it hits us in our gut and it moves us to do something. And God has placed us to be in relationship with one another in such a way that we would be tender towards one another. That we wouldn't just be able to look away, but it would kick us in the gut and move us toward those who are suffering now, you may not even have the means to change that person's plight. But you'll not take a step toward them if you don't have tenderheartedness. And Peter understands that. The first deal is to be tenderhearted. Let the means come from God. Now, Jesus demonstrates this perfectly in his public ministry. He was fully God and fully man. You can't help but see that when he hears of the death of John the Baptist whose head has been brought to the ruler on a platter. Some of the disciples of Christ who were also the disciples of John went to take his body and bury it. And when they came back, Jesus was still very much kicked in the gut. And he was moved. And he told his disciples, let's pull away to a desolate place. So they decided to do that for a time of rest. They needed physical rest and they needed emotional rest. And so they get in a boat and they go across the northern portion of the Sea of Galilee. And if you've ever been to that region, you'll 
see it in your mind. If not, I'm going next March. You're welcome to go with us. They got in that boat and they started moving across the waters, but the people saw them. And they began to run across the northern shore, the Sea of Galilee themselves. And when Jesus and the disciples pulled ashore on the other side, there the crowd was waiting for them. Remember what happened? And Jesus saw the crowds and he was moved. That's a kick in the gut right there. He was tender hearted for them. Now they had been pressing against him. The scripture says that they gave him no leisure time, not even time to eat. Yet when he saw them running across the shoreline to get where they were going and he came ashore with his disciples, he saw that crowd waiting on him and he had tender heartedness towards them. Listen, we can learn from this. Though he was tired and weary, Mark 6 says Jesus had compassion on them because he saw they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. Seeing the people, he was moved because he knew he was the shepherd who could provide the teaching that they were strongly needed. So he was tenderhearted enough to get out of that boat and meet them even while he was physically and emotionally exhausted. Later that day, Jesus taught the disciples how to be tenderhearted and move towards the people, believing and trusting that God would provide the resources. See, you had to be tenderhearted before you worry about the resources. Some of you are holding back, not being tenderhearted because you think you don't have the resources to make a difference. No, the first step is to have the kick in the gut and move towards them. And Jesus taught them the same crowd later that day. They were hungry. The disciples come to Jesus and they say, we got to do something. Send these people away that they may eat. And Jesus said, no, you move. You go to them. You feed them. Find what they have. And they found five loaves of bread and two fish. Remember this? And they brought it to Jesus. And Jesus blessed that. God provided for them. They began to disperse. The disciples began to disperse that food. And they had more than enough to meet the needs of the people. I'm grateful for those kind of opportunities for us to see that if you want to refresh weary sheep, you got to first be tender hearted and trust God to provide the resources that he knows they need. Matthew mentions another time that Jesus thought similarly and he acted similarly. Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus saw the crowd, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, for years, I thought that really what he was saying is pray to God that he would bring harvesters, but it might be that he's saying pray to God that People's hearts would be moved tenderheartedly and that they would begin to work. See, it's not my role to get you to work. It's my role with the scripture, with the spirit's nature to work in your hearts so that you might be tenderhearted. Take a step towards people and trust and believe that God will provide the resources. Tenderheartedness. With tenderheartedness, you can refresh people in Jesus' name. Now we're at number five. Refresh others thinking and relating humbly to them. One writer aptly stated, humility is arguably the most essential, all-encompassing virtue of the Christian life. I think that's true. Where does it start? It starts with humility. I need a savior 
starts with humility. I need mercy. I'm spiritually a pauper. I need you to work in my life. I have no means whatsoever. It always starts with humility. Nothing, do nothing from selfish ambition, Paul says to the Philippians, or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Humility, that's the nature of Christ, isn't it? And so if you've been born again, then he has given you his humble nature. Walk in that nature. If you walk in humility, you will be a refreshment to others. Now, I've met all kinds of refreshers. I'm talking about people who refresh you like you've had a tall glass of water. They are wonderful refreshers. They are still in my life. And if I think back on my life, I could name them one by one. Amazing refreshers. And every one of them are humble. Now, some of them are in high positions and some of them had significant power. And others of them had a lot of means and resources and a great number of them were very popular, but yet they carried themselves as Christ carried himself with lowliness and humility, and it was wondrously invigorating. It's refreshing when somebody is humble like that. Now you'll miss the opportunity to refresh people if you hi-hat them. There's no refreshment in hi-hatting. Refreshment comes in humility. So be humble, Matterbrook. Know your origins. Know who you would be without Jesus. Be humble. Refresh other people in that humility. So my friends, you are the means by which God wants to refresh everybody in this building and outside of the walls of this church. And you can make significant impact on people if you will have unity of mind, think with the mind of Christ, engage his scripture, and point people constantly to his scripture. Have sympathy for others. Put yourself in their place. Have brotherly love. Move towards them in order to build them up. Have tenderness of heart. Let your gut be kicked so that you might move towards them, believing and trusting that God will provide the resources and walk humbly with them. Not in a position of arrogance, but humbly. And in doing so, the people in your life group will be wildly refreshed. And the people that you are around in this room will be wondrously encouraged. And the people that you work with and live in community with will know that you are a refresher, like a fresh breath from God himself. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you first for Jesus who is the means for all of our refreshment and for his spirit that dwells within us that allows us to exercise with his empower, empowerment the ways to refresh and encourage and build up. And I pray that you'd find us given to that, pressing towards that, running into that. And where we're tired and weak, I pray your spirit would enable us to be strong wondrously mighty as a refresher. And Lord, I just want to pause and say thank you for the people who have brought such refreshment in my life. In our lives, you have given us wonderful people, Lord. Oh, it's proven over and over that they love you and they love us. And thank you for their refreshment. God, I want to be that kind of guy. And I believe the people who are in 
who are joining me in this prayer want to be those kind of people. So help us, God, I pray, that we might be like a fresh breath, a cool breeze under the shade of tree in a weary and worrisome world. Unto the glory of Jesus, I pray, and for the good of the people. Amen.